0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist has smicha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Kulikowski. Um And, you know, Yitzhak, we have ignored uh, what used to be the, uh, the title of our show. I mean, I haven't put it up on the, uh, on the podcast a platform site but i used to say darshaning about old movies and vintage tv so we haven't talked about vintage tv in a long time i'm not even sure exactly where vintage begins and ends <laughs> i don't know if uncle milty is vintage tv because it's so the the kinescopes are so um uh damaged, there's hardly anything that you can see uh but i guess vintage tv should start probably i guess 1950 or so 51 52 i don't know what the cutoff point of vintage tv is uh, i'm not sure we did marry Tyler Moore, of course which was into the 70s um but i would definitely say that uh i don't know i guess you know maybe again 40 years but but here's one of the programs you know i wanted to talk about which i think is really um it was a, it was considered a um, trailblazing program, and really, in a way, captured uh, the zeitgeist of the 1960s. Uh, it became a program that was identified so much with uh, the youth movement and the type of singers that the youth performed behind, and the ideals of you know anti-republican in some way and. Um, stressing things and uh, striking racial equality and anti-industrial anti, uh, govern- anti uh, industrial pollution and s- very biting satire at the same time. It was a program that actually had uh, a group of writers uh, that, you know, Steve, um, Steve Martin, uh, a very young Steve Martin was one of the writers, including a number of other um, people that uh, – went on to, I guess, some pretty illustrious careers. And that is the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, uh, which I think you can definitely get uh, CDs, but I think some of it, if not all, a lot of complete episodes, you could probably dig up on YouTube and other places. Um, Again, there was a very short-lived Smothers Brothers um, show, which was a sitcom that lasted, I don't know, a couple of, I guess it lasted a season or so, but it was really their comedy hour uh, that uh really I think people still come back to as the place where you know t v started to grow up there was remember Laughin was uh pretty much contemporaneous at that time, but unlike Laughin, which was really a Rowan and Martin's Laugh, which was like a, uh, a very heavily edited um stitched together with a lot of film clips and you knew it wasn't really uh, a variety show. The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour really had the, uh, the format of a typical variety show. I know you're going to be talking about one that you liked a little bit later, but this was, you know, the the Smothers Brothers would come out and do their uh, Tommy and Dick uh, would do their, at that time, it already become somewhat of a patented act they'd been uh, performing for Uh, at that point about eight years they were great hits Uh, they were a great hit in the club circuit and also they'd also made a number of tv appearances uh, on the show that you're going to talk about, The Ed Sullivan Show, but also uh, on the ill-fated Judy Garland Show, which was an incredible program. But of course, Judy couldn't, as we've talked about, Judy wasn't really able to uh, continue at that pace. She was on drugs and other things and she wasn't able to show up. But that show, of course, won a, a numerous amount of Emmys. Uh, Smothers Brothers were on there as well and got a lot of national attention. And people really loved them because they really were coming on the heels of Uh, the movement as you know the late 50s uh the beatniks as we know the beat generation was also embracing greatly all these folk music singers like you know you know pete Seeger and um and dylan eventually and others Uh, uh and folk music was considered like the real american uh uh Know, jazz. It was the place where people where great messages could be said, and they took, as you know, folk music. Uh, it's like we say, it's, it's not like necessarily songs that were invented and in, 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 that were written by the artists, but were actually old ditties and uh, stuff <laughs> from Americana, and maybe sometimes beyond, even from Europe, that were redone in a certain way, limited. Um, uh, types of unlike the big band and jazz that depended on a, a quite a big array of an orchestra, folk music was usually just one or two singers and instruments, and you know it was, it was extremely popular. And the Smothers Brothers were were folk singers, but unlike you know very serious folk singers, they injected a tremendous amount of comedy, mostly of course with the sort of the Abbott and Costello sort of template uh dickie was actually younger uh playing the older brother although he was really younger and this the one that was more stern and more intelligent and tommy being sort of the buffoon who played the guitar uh they both had pleasant enough voices nobody would have uh you know would have said that they're like you know like they're they're like art garfunkel in terms of the angelic ability to hit a note but they definitely didn't sing off key But what they came up with was a way to puncture the balloon of the ultra seriousness of the folk song Um, with impish delight that sort of like went hand in hand with the ridiculousness of what situation comedies were becoming at the time. You know, it's of course, we've had conversations about how the beginning of the 60s brought in all these gimmicky, um, you know, sort of weird, crazy uh, comedic series. Um, Tommy Smothers really was sort of like that type of um, energy in a bottle because he would, you know, they'd start singing a, a song and Tommy would uh, completely throw it off or Tommy would, you know, uh, Go overboard in describing it, or uh, introduce the type of thing like John Henry was sitting on his daddy's knee, and of course, you know this is of course, the story of John Henry, you know this great uh, African American uh, superstar who was able to who gave up his life showing the the power of what human beings could be against the steam engine and the steam drill or the steam engine. And, of course, you know, again, the Smothers Brothers had this thing where he was sitting on this dappy's knee. And then, you know, uh, and then, as John Henry said, his father said, this kid is wet all over me. And, of course, that always broke everybody up because, you know, instead of the story of this uh, uh, Paul Bunyan-like superhero, uh, you know, Tommy's turned it into just like a baby that was that that didn't have his diaper and he did that consistently with a whole number of songs that uh like the famous uh song um you might remember it um, they call the wind mariah you might remember that song, which I think was a Dutch song originally that was translated to English. And of course, Tommy said, "Oh, this is an Israeli, <laughs> Israeli folk song." Um, and you you can hear so much, so many. Uh, if you listen to the original recordings uh, of and, and of the albums, and I think there were seven or eight, and they were top selling albums, you can hear the recording of their um, concerts, and the audience is so amused by the shenanigans the straight man um the the comedy the foil uh and of course the sibling rivalry everybody knows the tagline mom loved you best and they were actually raised by their mother their father uh, died uh overseas he was a uh, world war one world war two uh, i don't know if he was he died as a hero but he definitely died uh in battle and uh, the brothers were raised by their mom And the idea of my mom, mom loved you best was, you know, it had an element of truth to it. Of course, they, in real life, they were, you know, you know, quite, (laughs) they got along quite well with each other and um, they're sort of like almost a symbol of, of getting along. But what's interesting is, is that, is that the program, because it had to subscribe to the typical variety show, although what they had, they brought in guests, they brought in other singers, they did skits. And instead of just them doing their, their normal routines, which were taking songs and poking fun of it, and sort of, in a way, really in such a pleasant manner, they really felt they had to push the envelope. And and therefore, I'm I'm suggesting, although the programs are a fascinating time capsule about what was going on and how uh, television was trying to grow up, it sort of obscured the original pleasant. You know, gishmak, as I would say in Yiddish, of the Smothers Brothers' uh, basic pro, uh, of their basic act. Uh, you know, you know, the, the TV sponsors had this idea. These guys have got a great act. Let's make them. Let's put them in a variety show. And so Sonny and Cher, of course, uh, I think came around a year or two later. They try. You know, they had to try to do sort of a similar thing um it's sort of like you you had to push the buttons okay you'll come out and do one thing and then you're gonna have to introduce a guest and the guest will do a song with you or there's going to be a skit with the guest there's going to be some and with the smothers brothers eventually became as i said uh, a mouthpiece for extremely liberal uh, ideals and, and, and in many ways really pushing the envelope against uh network censorship and um and, and bringing in uh, the types of characters and singers uh, that were anti-government, uh, anti-the United States in some ways. And this was something that really gave, you know, you have these two mild-mannered guys, these Smothers Brothers, although as the show progressed, they started looking more hippie-ish, you know, you know uh, uh, Dicky especially started, you know, growing out his mustache, and you know, he'd come in with the typical sort of like Gandhi-like clothes, and uh, you know, do the peace sign. But eventually, I, again, these this was a program that I was growing up watching, you know, from the time it came on when I was seven, when it first came on, until it was canceled. I think in um, April um, nineteen sixty nine, I believe it was the last program um, when it was um, uh, when it was abruptly taken off the air. Um, you know, it was it was considered uh, they were sort of martyrs for censorship. Now, one of the things that happened, Yitzchok, was that they had because of the risqué material, and because unlike other programs that were not live exactly, but they could tape during the week, and then the program showed at an on its time slot the uh, c b s insisted that the Smothers Brothers have the complete episode ready ten days in advance <laughs> for uh, the network bigwigs to actually look over and be able to make changes um, and they uh, they weren 't able to accomplish that because you know that that was something that was clearly their way of trying to uh, you know try to 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 limit them and There was a a public outcry because the show was really, in a way, uh, a a big favorite of of kids uh, and young adults, teenagers, and people who really had a great affinity uh, towards that movement. Uh, And also, you might remember Yitzchok, the name Pat Paulson, who was one of the writers of the show, um, who um, ran for president in 1968. And, you know, his more than once. No. Right. And he continued to run 68, 72. And of course, that was a way to highlight the idiocy of the whole presidential campaigns. Um, I can tell you, I still remember. And I only saw it again. I was watching it in 1968. um, They had uh, one of their constant guests was a impressionist known as David. His name was David Fry. And David Fry was able to, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you can get those episodes. I think I've looked for them on YouTube, but David Fry did a pitch perfect Nixon and a pitch perfect Hubert Humphrey. And I think he was also able to do George Wallace. George Wallace is pretty easy to do, as you know, Uh, he was the governor of Alabama who uh, ran as a third party and probably was the reason that uh, Humphrey uh, lost the election. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's possible. Um, you know, Southerners usually go with Democrats, although you know maybe Nixon Nixon's time was different. Um, and I remember they 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 turned the election into a, a some sort of uh, fable like story from uh, you know from some uh, medieval era, and with Fry playing all three parts, the Smothers Brothers, of course, accompanying him with their music, um, and, and to me. It's sort of like Mad Magazine. It was my way of finding out what was really going on in the in the larger world. I was only eight years old, but I was glued to the Smothers Brothers on Sunday. I mean, that was to me. Um, uh, and, and 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 when that show canceled, it it, it sort of was like a, a, a sort of like a knife stabbing me. So I, so I would say, look, I think if you can find the program, is great, but I think it's even more so to really discover the Smothers Brothers um, from their. Beginning of the recording era from about 1961 uh, into about 1969, and to get to listen to some of the some of that old stuff, um, it really is to me a a wonderful balance of decent music, um, and you never know. Like where when Tommy is going to like upset the apple cart when he's going to come in and say something like you know you know talking about pumas or talking about some inanity uh, that he just keeps on going on for his malapropisms are a lot better to me uh, than Norm Crosby and some of these other fellows um, in, in a way um, you know they're, they're I guess what I'm trying to say is their their notoriety. I think really obscures their talent. Uh, And to me, um, I could listen to them really for hours and hours on end, even if it's some of the same and stuff, it it always brings a smile to my face. That's, that's my, my uh, pick. First of all, find out about those Smothers Brothers. It's like, what do you got coming?
1: Well, you know, the, the whole idea of the, of the variety show was something that, Was very popular, uh, you know, before that, and and all throughout that era. I think that's one thing that we really don't have today is is that idea of the variety show. I mean, we still Saturday Night Live, but it's uh, but it's not quite. And you know, we have some of the the late night talk shows, but it's you don't have anything quite like the variety shows that that were. And I think really the archetypical variety show would have to be. not that it's the best one you know there are a lot of ones that i personally probably enjoy more but ed sullivan really is the is the archetypical um, sure. you know uh, variety show where you have uh, and, and really all, all the great great acts that's how they really they came out i mean we, we right. you know, and it was
0: and, to, and as the smothers brothers it was a sunday night program Right, I, I, right. I think it was a Sunday night program, the Ed Sullivan Show. I'm pretty sure.
1: Right? I I only remember watching it in reruns. (laughs) No, Ed Sullivan was
0: Ed Sullivan was on on Sunday night,
1: and I think um,
0: I, 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 I'm pretty sure it had the time slot right after the Smothers Brothers. Actually, Uh, we could check that out. But I'm pretty sure, you know, Ed Sullivan was, you know, was a fixture on Sunday nights. and you're right. It was a, uh, you know, it was an, it was a show that i uh, talk, talk a little bit about how, you know, my, my grandmother loved that show. She didn't speak a word of English. And she says, you know, ich will kick enough to go. she said, I want to see this Gentile guy. That's what she was. Now talk a little bit about Ed Sullivan and why this, you know, this sort of bland fellow, although he wasn't humorless completely, how he became like sort of the gatekeeper for all, you know, all, you know, the new young talent.
1: Including the Smothers Brothers, uh, I think part of it was that he he was he was really being a gatekeeper. He was trying to prevent. He got very upset at certain things that came out that on his show he was. I think it was uh, who was it? The uh, Jackie Mason. No, no. It was well, Jackie Mason. He was he really was upset about too. But I'm trying to think if it was was it the Rolling Stones or was it the Birds? One of them he was very upset at them and he said, you're never going to do that Sullivan show again. And they And they said, well, we, we, we just did that Sullivan show. We don't, we don't have to do it again. <laughs> we already, we've been there and done that, but it's, uh, you know, uh, certainly people were, were shocked by Elvis Presley, uh, you know, uh, and they had to, uh, they had to cover up his, uh, you know, gyrating his hips. That was something that they didn't, they didn't expect. And then, uh, and the truth is even uh you know right, but he was
0: actually look he was he was as sort of an empresario he uh, wrote a uh a column in those days that people had newspapers and read columns right the talk of the town the toast of the town i think was the name of the uh of the uh, right the toast of the town was the uh was the program yeah
1: that that, that was, was yeah.
0: that was his that was his um, uh, his radio it was a column that he wrote and then it was a radio program uh where he would interview people and talk to people and that eventually became um the sunday night uh, tv show the toast of the town with ed sullivan okay and that was again it was remember it was a show that started in 1948 <laughs> right so uh, for years it was the longest running television show of course your, your favorite the simpsons has outdone that <laughs> by quite a few years already right yeah. um
1: um, I guess yeah. You know, I I always liked because I remember it was on and rerun when I was when I was a kid, and now it's on, on a lot of the channels that show cha- channels like uh, MeTV and others. They show Ed Sullivan currently that you can you can catch uh, whether it's streaming or or if you have an antenna and watch these channels. And I, I would always, but I remember the, the reruns would be on TV, probably on some cable channel when I was a kid and uh, well, I well, let's talk a cool little cool. bit but though about you out look look it,
0: it, it, there was comedic acts. There was singing, like you said, Elvis yeah. and other and other like uh, other yeah. British rock stars, the Beatles, of course, wanted to go on Ed Sullivan. Of course, bye-bye birdie, the whole uh, play is built on the idea that you know Conrad Birdie is going to come on the Ed Sullivan show and somehow yeah. propose to that girl, you know, or something like that. Um, or the girl is going to want to propose to him or something, whatever the plot was, but Ed Sullivan was the uh, was the main like idea. The song, Ed Sullivan. That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. Paul Lynn. Um yeah but the point was is that the show also had what and you mentioned there's no show like that there still is something like that a uh, program that a lot of a lot of our jewish folks like watching which is america's got talent which is sort of like uh, uh although there you know you might you know again since it's been edited over hours and hours but you have similar things like acrobats magicians um escape artists all of that, you know, Ed Sullivan did all of that. Besides having, like, you know, breakout yes. stars, it's the program, place. the yeah. program always had to spin and 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 I wonder, you like, Although, you know, when you see that on America's Got Talent, a, a lot of that um, escape, um, like, you know, escape artists or danger acts or incredible. Um, Balancing, I mean, you know, it, it's something when you see it, and especially when they're competing. That Sullivan, of course, it wasn't about competition. You know, he just felt he wanted to give this variety, which is what it was—a variety of different things. Uh, do you think a modern audience, you know, like let's say your kids or people of that age, uh, would could enjoy just watching, you know, these old, you know, kinescope or videotape sometimes of. Uh, of, of, you know, of people, like you say, juggling or spinning plates or, or, or doing a ballet scene from, or, or or perhaps like Ed Sullivan would say, you know, from the new Broadway hit, here's the people from Camelot, you know, uh, singing some of their songs. Do you see that as something that people could enjoy watching today?
1: I think one of the interesting things is that even when they show Ed Sullivan now, like I said, on these channels, they, they edit it heavily. They really they don't really show the, I, I'm sure, I think the show was probably, wasn't an hour long show. And I think right. they edit down to a half hour. They do, they take out, you know, just some more interesting uh, parts and that's what they're really showing. And so there is, uh, there there's, is some. There's a
0: mistrust of, of their audience. They don't think the modern audience can really, you know, soak it in the way the people in the fifties and sixties
1: did i think even i think these uh, these edits i think have been around for a a little bit of time if i remember uh, Yeah. okay you're right yeah
0: so whether it was the lack of attention span Yeah,
1: the same thing uh my wife's favorite is uh um uh what's his name uh with the bubbles with the Lawrence um, Welk Lawrence Welk uh, she loves Lawrence Welk and they, uh, again you know i always remember Lawrence Welk being the reruns that they would show on PBS that again they were not the original sure uh, the program
0: the first you you would spend 10 minutes watching a bunch of people dancing you know what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> you would watch you'd watch a couple of you know, people doing the polka or whatever it was they were doing there on uh, those programs, look, there wasn't much, many options, and people's attention spans were a little bit different. Um, and uh, you know, the, the there was, you know, marveling at stuff that today you could just go on a TikTok, you know, and see. You know what I'm okay. saying? TikTok whatever it is. In those days, okay, can we see somebody swallow a sword? Otherwise, you know, you have to wait for it to come up on the Ed Sullivan Show for that to happen. Um, and, and, you know, and even I think even before, you know, people always talked about Carson and we talked about talk shows and, you know, talk shows, I, I think, in many ways are, are, are sort of like an ugly aspect of television. Um, they're not really meant to sort of like entertain like uh, variety shows were. They weren't meant to. Uh, they, you know, Johnny used to do some skits because he was a, quite a talented uh, comedian but it's mostly about talking with another person and having that person promote, uh, their film or book, whatever they were doing or some sort of risque, you know, talk that you couldn't do uh, during prime time. And, right. uh, so, you know, I think the, you know, you know, you can see a lot of the Carson old Carson shows, uh, and on, on Amazon prime and other places. Um, and, it's sort of you know, when you look at that like why am i watching this you know am i watching this because i want to see richard Pryor before he blew himself up or you know i want to see gary shandling before he became the obsessive neurotic that he eventually became up until he, you know uh, you know is it is it basically is it like a time capsule um to see these people to see robin williams before he committed suicide um is that really what, what's bringing us there, or you know, in some ways, can you really be entertained by that? And I, and I wonder, Yitzhak, You know, I know that these programs do have an afterlife, but it's almost like an afterlife, almost like in a museum-like fashion.
1: Well, um, I think they, that's that's well, all of these movies are really, all of these shows now have you know more of a historical value than anything else. Is that you know, look, this is you know, you'll have. Uh, you'll have politicians you'll have all kinds of and then you'll have music acts you'll have you know some of the, the stand-up the first time that's uh, you know certain right so, but, but but it's yeah. but,
0: but that means when you're watching it it's a part of you is sort of you have a professorial uh aspect about yourself that oh no let's see this i mean contrast as to what i now see is the world and we've talked about game shows where we see the type of um Behavior and the type of attitude that they show towards women, minorities, which isn't necessarily true today. Um, But just to lose yourself in the program. I mean, I I think when we've spoken about films, Yitzchok, even the ones that we've tried to put in historical perspective, I think it's still possible. I think most of the ones we have uh, promoted, suggested, are films you could actually lose yourself in and just enjoy watching. I think with old, with vintage TV, especially these programs. The variety programs and the, you know, the, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the cut up pieces of the Ed Sullivan show that you could watch, I think it is hard to, to sort of like just sit back and just be wafted away the same way, uh, the, when the show was originally broadcast.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I've noticed, you know, one show that I've been, and I, and again, you, you have these little bits of the Ed Sullivan show. There was one, one that I reflected on recently was uh, he had, uh, we've spoken many times about Jack Benny and the, the one thing about Jack Benny, even though, you know, he was Jewish, he was married to a Jewish woman. He didn't really push the, the Jewish envelope very much. He always had a Christmas show every year. He was very much not presenting himself, you know, even though he's presenting himself as a miser, as a, as a skin right. flint whatever, but it, it wasn't specifically as a Jewish person. And there was one uh, time he was on Ed Sullivan, and he was talking about really, you know, uh, Ed Sullivan was was kind of giving him a hard time. You know, I've done so much for you; I made you who you are, and you and you don't appreciate. And then like, and then, uh, and then uh, Benny says to him, you know, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's uh, why do I have to be moshubed to you? He didn't say moshubed, but why why do I have to be enslaved to you? We just celebrated Passover; we remembered the Exodus how long do I have to be enslaved to you, Ed Sullivan? <laughs> and then he said, and then and then uh, we're waiting for to cross the street and you lift up your arms and the, the traffic split and we were able to walk through. So he, <laughs> <laughs> you know, was, I think that was the, the one uh, Jewish joke I've ever heard. Uh, well, <laughs> and, well, okay, so he I, I want to
0: correct you on that. I, I've actually yeah. heard Benny, uh, and there was another show when you told me you want to talk about Ed Sullivan, I mentioned to you the other day about a program that I believe was a Saturday night program the night before that was on ABC called the Hollywood palace. And I, I, unlike Sullivan, where it's hard to find the full episodes. I I know that there's many YouTube uh, options for seeing the Hollywood palace in its, uh, complete sometimes black and white sometimes color glory where you actually had a variety show hosted every week by a different star and um it basically ran almost like a ned sullivan show but benny was the host one week and benny came out to do a monologue and uh he I, i think sammy uh, was on the show Sammy Davis Jr. Who was, you know, it's sort of funny. Like who's the host? You know, who's the star? you know, Who's coming on as part of the talent? Uh, Sammy hosted a number of Hollywood Palace shows as well, and I remember Benny saying that you know Sammy, you know, you still you owe for your high holiday services. You owe the, the, you owe the synagogue for your high-order services seats, or right? I want to tell you where, where we're meeting. So he talked about Rosh Hashanah and, and attending shul with Sammy Davis Jr. So he did, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can find that Yitzhak if you want. So I think probably in the 60s, he became a lot more comfortable. You know, once he wasn't a, a, a consistent feature on uh, a television and radio where the fact that he was Jewish was sort of like strange, I think once he became sort of a guest star, on, on, on the programs in the 60s, especially on these live shows or these taped live shows, I think he, he could really be much more himself and really talk about the fact that he was Jewish. Um, so so you can check that out. And again to me, um, Hollywood Palace to me did not have the um, rigid rigidity of, of Sullivan. Look Sullivan was known himself, you know although they say he had a good sense of humor, you know he was the ultimate, Uh, We talked about Impressionists before with David Fry. Everybody did Sullivan, right? I could do Sullivan. Yeah. Right? We have a really big shooter, like a really big shooter, right? Um, You know, uh, and of course there was, you know, his his hand movements and, you know, changing contorting. You know, he was like, he was the Alfred Hitchcock of television in a way, you know, the same way everybody knew who Hitch was, everybody knew who Sullivan was. Uh, And um, I would say, you know, we talk about variety shows. Uh, obviously the last one, you know, when, you know, when we talked about the Hollywood palace, the Smothers brothers, I mentioned Sonny and Cher before um, really the, um, the the mid sixties through the very beginning of the seventies, although they started getting canceled almost every, you know, you could, you, you had, you had Andy Williams, you had Red Skelton, of course, Almost, uh, it was full of variety shows.
1: Um, Yeah, everyone, and that was why, you know, I've been I've been seeing um, a lot of uh, Johnny Cash's. Show right, Johnny know, Cash, and
0: of course, you know Glenn Campbell, who really got his start on the Smothers Brothers, ended up really taking their place. I think on Sunday Night, and doing a Glenn Campbell show, uh, uh, you know, which you know he was just you know a, you know a country singer. So everyone had their show, and they had to really follow the variety show. You know, Julie, Carol,
1: Andrews, Julie Andrews. had a Julie great- Andrews
0: had a show yeah. that was very that was also an Emmy. It was similar to Judy Garland's show in the early sixties. She had a show in the seventies my grandmother love loved that show. She used to call her the Zingaka, in other words, the singer. And she was very, although she was very hard of hearing, and you know, she knew. And, you know, I saw Julie Andrews do a lot of wonderful duets there with uh, a number of very impressive singers. So, you know, but that was, you know, know Flip Wilson.
1: My favorite of that was with the... Uh... You he told me it was me. Sammy.
0: We talked about Sammy doing. If I was a rich man, I know. I, I don't.
1: I don't think I've ever seen anyone do do Tevye as good as Sammy. <laughs> All
0: right. Okay. I can tell you that there was also, of course, that period was. You know, we talked about the Smothers Brothers, but I think you know the, the idea of pushing for racial equality and other things. You know, really, you know, caused um, you know a, 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 a comedian who who got a number of uh, who did a number of shtick. On the carol burnett show which is obviously the 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 ultimate variety show the show that lasted like the last dinosaur that lasted the longest it was probably in many ways the most inventive but flip wilson who had his start on carol burnett i believe was one of the first shows he was on ended up of course having a very successful run and in many ways people saw flip as the first crossover a great talent um and although I think there's a lot of African Americans today that cringe over some of the shtick that Flip did, um, you know, the, this this was standard. A show meant a variety show, and of course, Carol Burnett um, was able to you know to push her way through by dint of her incredible talent and. Also, I think the fact that she had unlike Sullivan and some of these other programs she had like a core that you know similar to the you know sid caesar's you know your show of shows that are Sid Caesar show she had a core of comedians that she worked with um and, and and she basically you know got it together she sometimes strayed and brought in you know a different type of talent but she had a certain corral of People that she used with the fabre Steve Lawrence, and others that she knew she was able to have the chemistry to work with that the skits would actually come together, um, and uh, she, you know, sprinkled it with you know bringing in some new talent and some others but I, I think she was able to come up with that consistency and also by dint of her incredible talent and the types of, um, uh, you know, um, impersonations and other characters she could inhabit that people got used to uh, seeing, you know, the like almost like, an it sort of like a continuing skit that went on from week to week, the Eunice character that she created. So, you know, Carol Burnett, I think, is really, you know, in, in a league of her own, uh, in terms of what she was able to uh, able to accomplish, but and I think Carol probably holds up the best. Uh, I think people could watch Carol today, not just as a time capsule. I really think so. I don't know, I know I don't know if your your wife agrees and or if you I know you're not such a big fan, but I, I would tell you that Carol, I think, still holds up. I think these other shows, really, it's hard. Uh, and, and and I'm really pushing people to rediscover. <laughs> the mothers, brothers—you know. Although we say we darshtman on TV, I would push them to re- use the, use the clips to rediscover their albums, which I think is, um, yeah. Uh,
1: I think I mean, try. The- I, I tried because it's uh, showing because you, men- you mentioned laughing. I tried showing my kids laughing, and they just they had no they had no interest in, in laughing.
0: Yeah, but laughing was really in a way. Um, the, it, it's yes, we're a variety show, but we're really not. You know, we there, there's you know they bombard you with these sort of Monty Python like uh, little films. They, they don't have the panache or the intelligence of Monty Python. Right. Plus, uh, a lot of you know at that time, very I guess uh, lewd sort of like suggestive material that that NBC, unlike CBS, was willing to let. You know the laughing crew get away with um and, and there was clearly the the indication if you watch laughing that many of these people were high right uh
1: that they were all part of that yeah, i think that's why the word funny is because they just, they just well i have to say arty jo- listen, i could i i could
0: i could watch Artie johnson say very interesting <laughs> I could just hear him, I could hear him say that over and over again. Um, you know, Ruth Buzzy as the uh prudish woman who's constantly hitting this, you know, the dirty old man with a with a with a purse. That I don't I don't care that much for. Alan Seuss and Joanne Worley, not. But Artie Johnson, I think, is somebody that, you know, a nice Jewish guy who's uh, had a nice career, by the way, in 60s sitcoms. He really, I think, came on his own and, you know, and laughed. he does a number of Jewish characters. Do it's worth it getting an Artie Johnson compilation tape
1: uh, of those. Um, yeah, you know, and I mean, uh, we mentioned Jack Benny, and his show really transformed later to from being almost a sitcom to turning into really a variety show. And he he had the Smothers Brothers on. He had, uh, I mean, my my favorite. Uh, uh, folk singers so Peter Paul and Mary is a very interesting episode where Peter Paul and Mary were on the Jack Benny show so yeah and the,
0: right but in other words they had to force it as if it was actually part of the 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 story that was going on because the show became a show about a show right it was about yeah. it was about Jack Benny doing his program so the yeah. actors would come on yeah sort of like you know Jimmy Dean did you know did, did a similar thing you know of course uh, to me, Jimmy Dean, the Jimmy Dean show, you know, he was a Southern singer. But uh, you talked about the Muppets before. That's really where Ralph, who was my favorite, hands down Muppet. I don't know if you know who Ralph is, the, the piano playing dog. Yeah, Rolf. Yeah, Rolf. Right. Yeah. R-O-L-F, Rolf. So yeah. he, uh, he, he's great. And he was your... Um, he was Jimmy Dean's constant companion you can catch those clips on YouTube but the rest of it
1: he was uh, even though you know Henson really identified more with Kermit I think he was more of Henson than Kermit was
0: yeah, it could be. I mean, the reason is because Rolf has a great, you know, Rolf doesn't, you know, Kermit has the joke on him consistently, and Rolf is really a, a he's sort of a, a Bugs Bunny sort of character, he's sort of a wiseacre in some ways. Yeah. But uh, you know, he's just great. You know, it just just the whole voice and the fact. I always love the fact that he played piano. You know, I just always love the fact that he that you know you know he would sing a song, and he, it was it was it was incredible.
1: It's uh, funny that there's uh, they, they're trying again to redo the Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, and they have one character in one of the more recent episodes that was on Netflix, where I forgot the name of the the, the puppet, but they say he's he's Ralph the dog. Everybody loves Ralph the dog, you know they. <laughs> That was the, I, he, he
0: is one of the favorite, but unfortunately, they sort of like after Henson's death, they sort of like you know they had him like in, 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 in just sort of like cameo appearances. So in in, in in the more recent Muppet stuff, but you but it, it, it's worth watching him on the Jimmy Dean, yeah, the, the clips he, from the Jimmy Dean the show. Clip,
1: Jimmy Dean is is like a doctor, and he's like he's inflating Rolf until his. until he explodes and he said what happened he said my belly button blew out (laughs) yeah yeah, again
0: the Muppets and and again we talk about the Muppets as a variety show of course which is really sort of a satire on a variety show you know Kermit is the Ed Sullivan of the Muppet Show and um, you know so you know the Muppet Show really in a way is sort of like laughing uh, sort of like you know trying to poke fun about what, what variety shows are supposed to be but you know look i guess we've thrown out so much here today for our listeners you know, about all the things to sort of like pick and choose from i i would say the fact that the muppet show um has really become a a, a, a on disney plus and others i think the muppet show it's an indicator that that people can actually go back and just enjoy and we talked about peter ustinov's uh, a couple of, uh, I remember we talked about it on one of our, before our program split off, like when we used to be part of uh, To Stir With Love, but remember we had a whole discussion about the Peter Hustonoff program and other great Muppet shows. So, you know, I think the Muppet show can, can be enjoyable, especially to kids. And uh, perhaps that 's you know one the Muppet Show and Carol Burnett might be the only two variety shows that you don 't necessarily have to look at and just say oh boy that's let 's go back in time and
1: Carol you know, Burnett is also playing on on me t v and she actually uh, does a lot of stuff you know still today she just had her eighty uh, ninth birthday last week, and she 's still nine of heart very active yeah, very, look, you know Carol look
0: you know I think Carol won an Emmy for uh, her portrayal of Um, Helen Hunt's mother on Mad About You Um, so look there's no question about it she was a talent that you know when they discovered her in the late 50s and on the Gary Moore show which was again another variety show that Carol was one of the regulars you know you have someone and to my mind you know, as as great as Lucy was, and of course, Lucy never had a variety show. Maybe they tried once, I don't think so. But uh, as great as L- a comedian as Lucy was, a physical comedian and an understander of the television medium, you know, Carol is uh, like
1: I said, you know, Carol is the uh, I, 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 is, I think Carol's is, better than Lucy. Of course, she is the great, great talent. Yeah.
0: Great talent. And again, you know, Lucy, i have to say Lucy was much older. Lucy had already been through the mill
1: and uh you know, yeah that's the thing like I, I appreciate lucy better on the radio and, on my favorite husband than i do on and i love lucy and i and i kind of uh i enjoy the lucy show more not because of lucy herself but because of uh gail gordon because i'm a, a big big fan of gail Gordon. No,
0: gail was with her together on radio all the time yeah but um, yeah. But, but again this is real we're straying out of variety when Lucy yeah. shows up on these variety shows, you know, she does, she's a big trooper. She takes parts in those skits and she clearly loved Carol Burnett. And, you know, Carol, Lucy gave Carol Burnett a lot of chizik, uh to, to take on a show on her own, because again, she was the first female host of a variety show yeah. and she did it without saying, you know, planting the Helen Reddy flag of, you know, I'm standing up for women Um and she did it in a way that, especially her interaction with the audience, uh, was really you know classic and great. I mean, that's something which I don't, I don't know if any other uh, you know entertainer was able to do it that way. To actually, um, you know, you could probably just watch her, you know, and, and, and her off the cuff, you know, zingers that she came up with when people would ask her questions and answers that she came up with um it's really a, you know as we say it 's a study in how sharp she was uh, able she was able to do stuff, so
1: there's a couple Builder. of variety
0: stuff out there as again i it's just uh, like i said I, I think that some of these variety shows are ways to rediscover the artists that the variety shows were built around and I think that um some others brothers I think fits that bill. there might be some others maybe even you know i don 't know if Sonny and Cher.
1: um again. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, also, that was on when i was a kid the reruns and i it's it's not a, <laughs> it's not well but,
0: uh, well again it's it's again it, it has not aged so well yeah. um i don't think but a lot you know again a lot of it was the dynamic of who's the butt of the jokes and, and that way i think you could appreciate look tommy and dick you know, they used the the, as I said, the Aben Costello, Laurel and Hardy um basic template. And I think they did some interesting things with it. Um, you know, Dean Martin, his program was basically, you know, he was, I think he was drunk 50% of the time he was on the show. You know what I'm saying? And you know, the uh you know, they had a lot of, you know, scantily clad women, I forgot what they were called. They had a, a certain name. Um the his 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 women uh who would hang out with him. Forgot what they were called exactly. But you know, the Dean Martin show, like it was yeah, you know, he could still summon up enough of his crooning voice, but there really isn't, like I said, you know, much there other than an excuse uh to put something on.
1: And you
0: know, R.I.P. <laughs> variety yeah. shows. R.I.P. R.I.P. you
1: know, there there was some of a. a, a I mean Again, Saturday Night Live is still is still there, and it's kind of along that line. And I remember when I was a kid, there was a, Nickelodeon had a few shows that were geared for children that were funny that anyone could appreciate. There was one show was called All That, and and another which they recently rebooted, and another was called Roundhouse, and it, and they but these were. These were not uh, the the variety shows that we're talking about now, where you'd have a guest a guest host, and uh, these were more like Saturday Night Live, where you'd have a troupe. But Saturday Night Live still has a guest host. Um, this is just totally uh, you know based on the 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 troupe um, you know doing their their shtick and doing it well, you know, especially for for you know children who and teenagers doing these shows. They really uh, did did quite good work, and a lot of them went on to to work. Uh, well, the no question uh, about look
0: these you know these not ready for t- prime time players. Many of them, of course, became major players, and a lot of their stories are fascinating to follow. Um, but the programs in themselves, I think, although they they might have three or four skits that hit it out of the park, and or sometimes some of the filmed um, you know satirical uh, films are are brilliant. I, I think what you, the Beatles there is, is incredible. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, it's the amount of commercials and the amount of time you waste, you really, I, I, I can't see anybody really, you know, honestly, even in the seventies, watching those old programs, you know, sit through the whole 90 minutes of, of Saturday night live. Um, it, you know again, there is something about the excitement of live television, which of course you know carol and, and and these others these programs are not live um they they were on videotape, and of course, this was supposedly oh the the purity of what television was. And I really found it you know in many ways wasteful and overblown um, you know, um so many of the skits fell flat. And you know they were sort of like, okay, w- w- what does that mean? Um, and you know, I have Rachmonis on the amount of the, the amount of time people have spent. But again, you know, Saturday night. I guess if you're if you're if you're unlucky enough to be stuck at home, this might be something to talk about at the water cooler on Monday. Uh, you know, I want to end tonight, Yitzchok. With uh, we talked about you know. Um, these uh, variety shows tonight, and we, both of us gave a little bit of you know places where you can look to discover stuff. Um, there's just one little thing I just want to mention it's for a minute or two. Just a uh, an old movie. Uh, it, it's interesting how you know the 30s and the 40s um, produced the, I guess the best example of it or, is is the Bill, William Powell Myrna Loy uh, Thin Man films. And we've talked about them, and, you know, I don't know, you know I, I guess there's some a locus among people, what's considered the best one, is it the first one, or is it the second one after The Thin Man? Um, the rest, of course, you know, were sort of, like, you know, repetitive and sort of doing the same thing over again. But but Hollywood really felt, you know, what we want to do, we want to have, like, a sparkling, witty, comedic detective story, where someone's dead, or another people are dead, and the, um, and the our star who we're going to turn this into like a series of movies is going to solve the case uh in the meantime he's going to be attended by a lot of colorful little characters and that really became sort of a template for a number of different um, hollywood uh, programs Hollywood films that tried to do the same thing we talked about of course you know andy hardy and other sorts of uh, uh sort of movies that that people wanted to keep on coming to, to see the basic uh, structure, but this was a specific one that Hollywood really tried to work on quite a bit. Um, you know, I think Red Skelton did the whistler, um, uh, whistling, whistling in the dark. I think it was called, um, And and they were really trying to make this work with whatever they could. This is different than, you know, there there were like Charlie Chan and um, Mr. Moto were sort of like a, a B version of, you know, these little mysteries, uh, that again, these were mostly about 60 something minute uh, films where, you know, Charlie Chan or Mr. Moto would solve it. And it had an aspect of that, but they were looking for something, you know, Hollywood was always trying to look for something a little with a little more pizzazz, a little more uh, upper crust. And I came across this curiosity really on TCM. I'm not sure if you can uh, expire the other day. But I'm not sure if you can find it, but it's, I think it's worth a look. And it's called uh, Footsteps in the Dark, and this was an attempt to, I guess, create a series. And it starred Errol Flynn, and Errol Flynn, of course, is this swashbuckling, extremely handsome Australian actor who really came to Hollywood and um, was really, you know, known as the ultimate, um, you know, uh, guy in tights. You know, whether it was Robin Hood or Captain Blood or something, you know, he was always, you know, he was always in some sort of a historical uh, drama set in some. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, obscure some sort of
1: romantic time. did um, we talked about uh, Santa Fe Trail once? So maybe? we
0: talked. I, I'm not. Yeah, we talked about yeah, Santa Fe Trail, Montana, and oh, some sure. of his some of his road to Abilene. He also became a, a fixture in westerns uh, as well, um, which are, of course are a different kettle of fish than swashbuckling romantic stuff but Errol Flynn of course was a was a a tremendous box star (coughs) a tremendous you know he was the ultimate you know along with Gable he was the ultimate hunk a box office uh uh you know superstar of you know of male attractiveness and you know they tried to put him in everything I think Gable was a little more selective in the films that he took but, you know, there's a great uh, picture of uh, you can have all the MGM stars. I think you can see it uh, uh, if you go to YouTube or, 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 or Google it. The famous picture of, you know, I think in the, sometimes in the 40s of, of, of they're, all, they're all sitting there. Lassie is there as well. And you have Gable and Errol Flynn right next to each other. Like right? these two, you know, those are the two in the center as the two male stars. So Errol Flynn really uh, bristled against uh this you know he did not really want to keep on playing the sort of the same part so he wanted to be sort of like the william powell um sort of like interesting detective and in this film called footsteps in the dark he plays by day a financial analyst who's making money for a lot of rich snobs in westchester county wherever it is and at night he goes around town um Uh, Living a a different life is sort of like uh, a guy flirting with things in the underground because he wants to write detective novels, uh, that he's created a certain uh, detective hero who, who of course, uh, discovers all these murders and seedy dealings at the same time, um, uh, satirically uh, making fun of the world that he actually comes from. And of course, he's fooling his wife. He has uh, Alan Jenkins plays... Um, it was a typ- it was a typical Warner player uh, plays his trusty uh, butler, his chauffeur. I'm sorry, who drives him around? You know, he has a whole secret house uh, where he does his his writing. <laughs> you know he he speaks into a dictaphone, and Alan Jenkins is typing it up based on their uh, nocturnal experiences and what they discover. And he gets caught up in a um, in a murder uh of a uh, of a of a jewel exporter and it takes him into the the world of the burlesque queens and of course hollywood in 1941 couldn't really show what burlesque was it was quite a tame version although in the movie as he's as, as he's as he goes into this burlesque theater uh, to to discover this woman who might be involved in the murder uh You have the, you have the audience is like screaming, like, like, like the most lascivious wolves. And of course what's, what they're doing is, is it's like, it's like a, just a bunch of, you know, women there, but none of them are really uh, doing anything too provocative, but the way the men are screaming, it's sort of giving the impression that you're watching the most erotic thing possible. Um, He has to, he has to romance, uh this woman because he knows she's somehow involved in the murder and of course errol flynn then takes on a sort of texas persona so in other words he's actually playing three parts here first he's the the sort of foppish um, uh, uh, sort of investor for all these rich people. Now, then he's the detective writer who has a, a relationship with the police and the police sort of like are, are bothered by him, by his nosiness and trying to come in on their murders and what he knows about the underworld. And then as he's trying to solve the case, he has to take on a third persona as Lucky Tex as some Texas oil man who's who somehow trying to sweep this burlesque queen off her feet in order to discover what she's really all about. Um, the Policeman is played by Alan Hale Sr. I always love seeing Alan Hale Sr. And part of it, of course, has to do with the fact that Alan Hale Jr., of course, is the skipper on Gilligan's Island. But it's always great for me to see his dad and, you know, they talk about, you know, bro kara da you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know those two; they could be. You know they're sort of the same burly uh, aspect. Uh, William Frawley, who we mentioned, you mentioned "I Love Lucy." Bill Frawley plays the hapless a uh, police uh, detective who's working with the was working with the the chief of police, which is by Alan Hale, and he has a number of lines showing how uh, incredibly stupid he is, um, making fun of the police and. I have to tell you one of your favorites Ralph Bellamy uh is in the film as well. So there's a it's worth the film is worth it just to see uh the uh, the repartee between Ralph Bellamy and um Errol Flynn in his role as um the uh, uh Mr. Warren or Pettijohn or Tex. So Um, you know, having Ralph Bellamy in the film is sort of a a giveaway about what's really going to happen, but uh, Bellamy, I think, almost steals the movie uh, with um, a lot of um, he plays a dentist who obviously is there's more to him than you might think as far as that goes. Uh, Brenda Marshall plays his wife and uh, she does an adequate job in that way. The um, she's not the burlesque queen, but uh, to me, it was sort of worth it. It's sort of like, yeah, this is, this, this ain't going to make it. And there's a reason I think Hollywood, it lost a lot of money. People could not stand to see Errol Flynn in a suit (laughs) bounding down the stairs, you know, either put him, you know, put some spurs on him, give him two six shooters, give him a, a bow and arrow or a sword. But, you know, as much as Errol, you know, wanted to be this urbane, sophisticated, sort of a screwball comedy type, um, Hollywood would have none, of, you know, the audiences would have none of it. But it's still, it, it, I feel, an interesting film uh, to see. Uh, I think it shows a little bit of Errol Flynn's range. And I guess it sort of, you know, sort of like exacerbates this sense of tragedy, you know, because in 1941, he still looked great. Um, you know, by the time, uh, by the time he died, Um, You know, it was almost, um, you know, he he was just a a pale uh, shadow of what he had been, you know, drinking and other stuff that really led to him. So those are some of the things which I think tonight you can check out, you know, vintage TV and an old movie that you might like to ask about. Well, take care, everybody. Listen, watch your step on the way out. We'll catch you next time. Be well. Good night. Thank you.